You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Mark chapter number two, we'll begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. When they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed and walk. But that they may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm sure this probably does not happen to you because I've had the advantage all week of getting ready and preparing and studying. But I'm telling you, sometimes just the Scripture alone, I just get fired up before I ever start preaching. And aren't you glad we have the Bible? Aren't you glad we have the Word of God? And I love these stories, and I'm glad that these are not just stories. These are true accounts of what happened. And so I'm looking forward to uh, the message this morning. I kept meaning to say it, but David and Dan, we're glad to have you here from Florida. Uh, Chris and Christy, good to see you. And uh, aren't you glad when we get people to keep an eye on Brother Fields, just so he doesn't cause too much trouble? I'm telling you what, we love Brother Fields. And uh, if, you, uh, if you're new to this church... Um, I want to say this, uh, they're obviously this, the Lord's church, there have been a lot of wonderful uh, uh, pastors and staff and deacons and, and faithful godly members, uh, but I don't know that there's anybody, uh, humanly speaking, that's had a greater role in, uh, in this church being what it is today than Brother Fields. Brother Fields, I love you and I thank the Lord so much for you. Mark chapter 2, I'm going to get into the message and I, I promise you I won't keep you long this morning, but I have to. I have to say these remarks before we get started or else you're going to leave wondering why I didn't address it. It says in Mark chapter 2, there's an exchange between the scribes and Jesus. And they're uh, really what they are is they're they're critical of what Jesus is doing. They're trying to find fault. And so they they make this, this debate about 
Well, why did Jesus tell him to arise and walk? And why did he say your sins are forgiven? And who does Jesus think he is? And, and it's just, it's kind of just a lot of semantics back and forth. The scribes are trying to, to, to criticize and to pin Jesus with uh, something that he wasn't guilty of and all that. But I want to say, as we look at this story, I am so glad that Jesus Christ is not limited to certain areas and certain realms with his power. If you ask me about some, some things, I will say, I don't know. <laughs> if you ask me to help you with things, I will say, I don't have that ability. If you need help uh, with your vehicle, your vehicle is not running, and you ask me, I will pray for you, but I am not going to be able to help you get that vehicle running. If you say, I'd like to build a house, and I'd like somebody to draw plans, and I'd like for somebody to do the building, again, I'll say, I'll pray for you. I'll direct you to some people that could help you, but I'm not the guy for that. Uh, if you need uh, legal advice, I'm not the guy for that. If you need medical advice, I'm not the guy for that. There's a lot of things I can't do. Uh, if, you need, uh, if you need a recipe for some meal or something like that, once again, I'm not the guy for that. There's a lot of things I can't do, but I'm glad that I know somebody who has power over every area of life, over every realm. There is nothing that is out of Jesus' jurisdiction. And so the debate here is, does Jesus have power to heal? Yes, he does. Does he have power to forgive sins? Yes, he does. He's got power over the physical, and he's got power over the spiritual. He's got power over the temporal, and he's got power over the eternal. And I'm glad that that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm glad I know him. I'm glad he knows me. And I'm glad I don't have to worry about a lot of stuff because Jesus Christ has it under control. I want to remind you also as we look at Mark 2, Jesus was healing this man who was paralyzed. But this man had a greater need than a physical need. You see, he was paralyzed. He was, he was, he was in a bed. He could not walk. But his greatest need was not to walk. His greatest need was to have his sins forgiven, to have his soul saved, to have eternal life, and to be spared from eternal judgment apart from God. And I want to say this, that Jesus is concerned about your needs. Jesus cares about your physical needs, and he cares about your spiritual needs. But more important than your physical need today is your spiritual need. And if you're here today and you say, I'm sick and I've got a sickness, well, wonderful, God can heal that. But I want to say this, more important than your physical need is your spiritual need. Here's what the Bible says in Mark chapter 8. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You could have all the money in the world. You could have all the houses and all the lands and all the cars and all the trucks and you could have all the toys and you could have all the titles and all the degrees. You could have it all. But that wouldn't matter when you get to eternity. That wouldn't change where you're going to spend eternity. All of that stuff will burn up someday. But what matters is your soul. Jesus said in Matthew 10, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't get me wrong. Jesus cared about physical needs, but spiritual needs are always more important than the physical needs. Here is a man in Mark 2 that's got both needs. He's got a physical need, 
but he also has a spiritual need. And we see when we get to verse number 12 that Jesus took care of both. And when it was all said and done, the Bible says that the people commented and they said, we have never seen it on this fashion. What they were saying is, we have never seen anything like this before. And aren't you glad that God is able to do things bigger than what we could ever imagine? God is able to do things more than you've ever seen before, more than you could ever accomplish on your own. God has the ability to accomplish more. I like what one preacher said. God can do more in a moment than man can do in a lifetime. And don't ever forget the power of God that is available to us. I see in this passage, Mark chapter 2, I see number one, I see there's a crowd. It says in verse number one that Jesus uh, entered into Capernaum. And after some days, it was noised abroad, or excuse me, it was noised that he was in the house. Now, here's what happened. Jesus showed up and everybody was talking about it. So much so that the crowds came. Jesus was in a house and that house got so full. That house got so packed. Do you remember, whenever I think of this passage, I always think about um, the Easter Sundays we used to have before we had two services. I remember we'd have, the choir would be up here, we'd have chairs down the aisle, we'd have chairs in the hallways, we'd have chairs in the lobby, and I just, I felt like we couldn't move, you know? And, you, and then you try to go out and invite people to come, and you say, you know, I hope you come. There's probably not going to be a place for you to sit, but I hope you come. And I'm glad we got room now. I'm glad we got two services, and I'm glad for all that. But this place was so packed, you couldn't even get in. The Bible says that even at the door, there was not even room to stand in the doorway because it was so crowded. Number one, I see the crowd. But my question for you this morning is this. Why was there a crowd? How did that happen? Jesus was there, but they didn't have full-color brochures. They didn't have technology. They didn't have Facebook and websites and videos, and uh, they didn't have a radio, and they didn't have all the technology we have, but still there was a crowd. How did that happen? Well, it says in verse number one, it was noised that Jesus was in the house. You know what that means? People were talking about it. People were excited. People were telling their friends and their family and their neighbors, hey, Jesus is coming to town. Hey, you got to come with me. Hey, we got to go see Jesus. And isn't that wonderful that people got excited about Jesus being somewhere? Well, friend, I want to tell you, we ought to be excited about Jesus Christ. We ought to be talking about it. It ought not be a secret. It ought not be that in your neighborhood or at your workplace, people are shocked to find out that you're a Christian. They ought to already know. They ought to say, we knew that a long time ago because every Sunday morning, their car's pulling out of the driveway and every Sunday afternoon, it's pulling back in. And boy, I tell you what, they're always talking about Jesus and I don't hear them cuss and I don't, I don't, I don't hear them uh, 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 fighting and hollering and I don't hear all that stuff. And, and they're, they're kind and they're nice. And they don't think they're better than everybody else. They actually love me and they, they, they care about me. I tell you what, it ought not be a secret that you know about Jesus. You ought to be talking about it. They heard about Jesus. I wonder this week, who has heard about Jesus from you? How long has it been since you told somebody about Jesus? You say, Pastor, all the people at my workplace are, are saved. They're all Christians. Well, wonderful. 
That ought to be all the more reason that we're talking about Jesus. That ought to be all the more reason that we're, 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 we're praising God and talking about answers to prayer. But maybe people that you work with and people that you live by, maybe they're not saved. That ought to be a reason, too, that we share Jesus with them. Because if you don't tell them, who's going to tell them? How will they ever hear? How will they ever know? Yes, we should talk about Jesus at church, but we should talk about Jesus every day. There was an excitement about Jesus. It was contagious. They made known abroad that Jesus was there. The Bible says in verse 2 that straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. The Bible says in verse 4, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, that word press, we're not talking about newspaper reporters. We're not talking about video cameras. We're talking about a crowd of people. And they couldn't get in because there was such a crowd. I want to say people were desperate to get to Jesus. Did you know we live in a society where people are desperate? People need help. People need answers. People need something more than religion. People need something more than a pat on the back. People need something more than just to, to feel better about themselves. People need something that only Jesus can do for them. And we have the answer. And may God help us to get the word out. May God help us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I see number one, the crowd. Number two, I see Christ. They came not to see the homeowner. They came not to see the mayor. They came not to see a CEO. They came not to see a businessman. They came because they needed to see Jesus. And the Bible says when they got there, verse number two, that he, Jesus, preached the word unto them. You say, well, pastor, Jesus is not here today. He's gone back up into heaven, and you're absolutely right. Jesus is not here in bodily form like he was in Mark 2. But what did Jesus do when he was here? He preached the word. And you know what Jesus has given us? He's given us the word. He's given us the word of God. He's given us the answers for life. And friend, when we come to church, that's why we don't just talk about the current events. We don't just talk about sports and politics and, and food and who's got this idea and who's got that idea. That's why we talk about this book because this book still has the answers today. This book is the Word of God, and we need the Word of God. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, he said, Timothy, you need to preach the Word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall be turned away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Friend, I want to tell you, if you don't get grounded in the Bible, if you don't get grounded in the Word of God, you are going to be led astray by every wind of doctrine. You're going to believe fables. You're going to believe all kinds of nutty stuff if you don't get grounded in the Bible. Now, I understand. It is hard today sometimes to know what to believe. Have you ever read an article or have you ever heard a news report and you thought, I'm not so sure that's true. Anybody else? Am I the only one? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. But I also want to say sometimes people are very quick to believe something that's not even true. We live in a society where we're lacking, I think, a lot of discernment. Be very careful about those things. But that's why we need the Bible. That's why we need the Word of God because this is our foundation. This is the truth. And the Bible, you can count on it. 
the newspaper may or may not be true, but the word of God, you can mark it down, it is true. They came to see Jesus. They came and Jesus gave them the word. But number three, I see the coming. It says that there were some people that came, verse number three, and they come unto him. And it says these people that were coming, they brought one that was sick of the palsy, which was born, B-O-R-N-E, which means he was carried by four. So we know there are four individuals here, and they're carrying a man that was sick. We see later that he was on a bed. I imagine it would have been a cot uh, or a stretcher of some kind. And so they're coming, and don't you know that kind of stood out in the crowd? Everybody else is walking, and everybody else is coming to Jesus, and then all of a sudden, here's four guys that are carrying a stretcher. And I'm sure that got some looks. I'm sure that got somebody's attention. By the way, if you come to church next week, and there's four of you carrying somebody in a stretcher, you'll get some looks too, okay? And if you do that, please don't drop them, okay? <laughs> uh, please, especially on church property. Don't drop them anywhere. But we see that they were coming. The Bible says that they were coming to Jesus, but they didn't come alone. You know what blesses my heart? Blesses my heart when I see people come to church and they, they bring somebody with them. Miss Wanda, so glad to have your sister here from Virginia and, uh, and many others. You've got family or friends or neighbors or coworkers that you bring to church. That's a wonderful thing to do, to bring somebody to church. Now, by the way, it's a whole lot better to bring somebody with you than to try to send somebody somewhere you're not going. Hey, uh, you ought to try out that church. Now, I'm not going, but, but you, ought, you ought to go ahead. Yeah, right, like somebody's going to do that. But you bring somebody with you. And these four guys, they came to Jesus, and they brought someone with them. I wonder who would you look back over your life and say, I brought somebody to Jesus. I, I told somebody about the gospel. I told somebody about the plan of salvation. I shared my testimony with somebody. I was able to either lead someone to Christ or I was able to have a part in someone coming to Jesus. Boy, that's going to be a wonderful day when we get to heaven and we see people in heaven because you invited them, because you prayed for them, because you gave, because you, you, you support a missionary that those people could be reached. There's no greater work on earth than to bring people to Jesus. And these guys were serious about bringing this man to Jesus. I'm glad somebody brought me to Jesus. I'm glad somebody brought you to Jesus. But I just can't help but think that there are a whole lot of people outside these walls that need somebody to bring them to Jesus. I see they're coming to Jesus. Number four, I see their commitment. Now, when I imagine bringing somebody to Jesus, here's what I picture. Nathaniel, could you help me, brother? Come on up here. We're not going to hurt you, at least not intentionally. But here's what I imagine. If, if I, meet, I meet Nathaniel and I say, Nathaniel, I said, uh, I want to tell you about Jesus and I want to invite you to church. And so let's go to church. Here we go. You know, this isn't taking a lot of effort. I mean, it, it took some, but it's not hard. Just walking somebody to church and, hey, uh, here's a good spot. Let's sit right here. All right, boy, this can be great. And let me introduce you. Hey, here, this is Tracy here. And uh, here we got uh, Tony and Denise. Here's Mike back here. That's not too hard. Now, come here. Now, what happens if this guy's paralyzed? Yeah. And I'm not going to carry him by myself. I'm going to get some help. Do you feel like being carried by four men? No, no I didn't think so. 
And to be honest with you, we didn't really feel like carrying you. <laughs> but all of a sudden, that's going to take some more commitment. It's going to take some responsibility. Now, keep in mind, this man in Mark 2 is not a young man who's in good health and able body. This man that's paralyzed. This is a man that he doesn't need to be dropped again. He doesn't need to be hurt worse. He's already been hurt. And you know, the person that you might bring to Jesus, it may not be somebody that's been hurt physically. It may be somebody that's been hurt spiritually. They've been hurt emotionally. Maybe they're not even sure they want to go to church because they've had a bad experience. Because some things have happened in their life. Maybe they blame God for something that happened. Maybe a loved one that passed away or an accident or, or health. But there's a lot of people out there that have been paralyzed. Some people have been paralyzed by fear. Some people have been paralyzed by rejection. Some people have been paralyzed because that old devil's gotten on their shoulder and told them a whole bunch of lies and made them think a whole bunch of things that aren't true. And they just need somebody that'll love them enough to say, I'm going to work with this guy. I'm going to help this guy. And he can't get there himself, but I can do something to help him. But there was some commitment. Thank you, Nathaniel. We don't want anyone injured in this illustration, so we're going to let you be seated at this point. So these guys... They have some commitment. They're bringing somebody to Jesus, but this is not somebody that's able to get to Jesus alone. This person requires some help. So the Bible says they carry him. Now, I, I am not an EMT. I, I have not worked with those kinds of things. But when I see somebody being put on a stretcher, I am amazed at the great lengths and the precautions that are taken to make sure that person is stable, to make sure that that person is strapped in, uh, to make sure that that person is stabilized. Now, I don't know about these four guys. I don't know what kind of equipment they had. But one day they said, buddy, we're getting you to Jesus. Hang on tight. And they got to the house, and that had to have been an, an adventure. Would any of you like to ride on a stretcher across the countryside with four people carrying you, and you're paralyzed? Would you, would you put your life in somebody's hands like that? Well... I used to think that these four guys, that they knew the guy, that he was one of their friends. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that. Now, he might have been a stranger. <laughs> he might have been taken against his will. They might have just said, hey, buddy, you're coming with us whether you like it or not. I don't know. But they got to the house. And when they got to the house, I want you to notice verse number four. They could not come nigh unto him, unto Jesus for the press, the crowd. So they uncovered the roof where Jesus was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now, first of all, I don't even like heights, period. But if I'm on a stretcher and I'm paralyzed and I can't even do anything for myself, I don't think I want four guys hauling me up on top of a roof. And then these guys, they really get crazy. They start breaking the roof. Now, I'm telling you, you know this, but sometimes in the things we do for the Lord, sometimes it gets a little crazy. Case in point, if you came to Kids Crusade, you saw some crazy stuff going on if you saw those skits. But here we see not only their commitment, but we see number five, we see their creativity. I'm not talking about doing anything wicked. I'm not talking about doing anything sinful. I've heard people say all kinds of crazy stuff. Say, you know, I wonder if we should print the plan of salvation on a beer can. Yeah, let's not do that. I don't think that's uh, uh, something that is a method that would be pleasing to the Lord. But I'll say this. 
People that drink, they need to hear the gospel. People that do drugs, they need to hear the gospel. People that are wicked, people that are violent, they need to hear the gospel. By the way, people that are proud and religious, they need to hear the gospel. People that are atheists and think they don't need Jesus, they need the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. But these men got creative. When they got to the house, they couldn't get in. And some of us would have said, sorry, buddy, you're not getting to see Jesus today. Some of us would have given up. Let's be honest. What else are you going to do? But they didn't give up. They said, this man's got to get to Jesus, and we got to do everything in our power to get this man to Jesus. And so they climb on the roof. They haul the stretcher onto the roof. They cut a hole in the roof, and they lower the stretcher down into the house where Jesus was. You say, those guys were nuts. Maybe so. But it worked. And not only did it work, when Jesus saw that man being lowered from the roof, you know what Jesus, the Bible says about Jesus? when he saw their faith. It doesn't even say the faith of the man who was paralyzed, but the faith of those four guys that were willing to go to great lengths so that this man could get to Jesus. Number six, I see the cost. These men, these four men, they gave up their time. They gave up their energy. They gave up their opportunity to be in that house where Jesus was. Then they broke up a roof. They probably had to pay for it. They probably had to replace it. They probably had to fix it. This was not an easy mission. It cost them something. And I want to tell you, if you're going to be a disciple, as we've talked about, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. You see, there might be some things that you have to give up. There may be some things that we have to give up to follow Jesus. But friend, I want to tell you, it is worth the cost. It is worth the price to say yes to Jesus. It is worth it all to say, Jesus, no matter what it costs, I will do it to follow you. Are you willing to give up some things so that people can be saved? Are you willing to pay the price so that people can get to Jesus? I'm ashamed to say it, but sometimes our service for Christ comes out of convenience, and that's where it ends. When it's not convenient, I'm done. When it costs me something, I'm done. But Jesus is looking for people that will count the cost and pay the price and surrender all to follow him. I see number seven, quickly, the commendation. The Bible says in verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, this paralyzed man was healed, and I believe it all started because four men had faith that Jesus could heal him. I don't know if this man had faith. I think he probably did. I don't know if he wanted to be carried to Jesus. I think he probably did. I'm not so sure he wanted to go up on the roof. I'm not so sure he wanted to be lowered down, but I know this, these four men believed that if they could just get him to Jesus, everything would be okay. And Fred, I want to tell you today, I just believe that. I'm just convinced of it. That if we could just get people to Jesus, if we could just get people to know Jesus, I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about uh, meeting a pastor. I'm not talking about being a part of a group. But if people could truly know Jesus Christ, I just believe that that could take care of their problem. I just believe that that is the answer to what everybody needs. They need Jesus. And Jesus commended these four men for their faith. I see quickly, number eight, I see the criticism. 
in verses 6, 7, and 8, and I won't get into all this again, but the scribes were there criticizing. I've asked the Lord to help me, and I hope you'll ask the Lord to help you, but I don't want to be a Christian that spends more time criticizing than I do involved in the work of God. As a matter of fact, I don't want to waste any time in the work of God criticizing. I want to get busy. Oh, anybody can sit back and anybody can point out the faults and the failures and the flaws of everybody else who's doing it. But friend, I want to tell you the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few. We need people not to criticize and critique, but we need people to get committed. We need people that will jump in and get people to Jesus. Number eight, the criticism. Quickly, number nine, I see the conclusion. It says in verse number 12, and immediately Jesus told this man, he said, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. Verse 12, and immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all. Did you know that Jesus healed this paralyzed man? This man was healed. And he could have stayed on that bed. He could have said, you know, I've kind of gotten used to this bed. This bed's kind of comfy. I've kind of gotten used to everybody bringing me stuff and everybody doing for me, and I think I'll just stay here for the rest of my life. You know, sometimes people get saved, and they're not willing to get up, and they're not willing to obey, and they're not willing to do what God has called them to do. But friend, if you've been saved by the grace of God, it's time to get up. It's time to obey. It's time to get busy. It's time to do something for the Lord. The conclusion, this man was healed. He obeyed and he got up. And then notice what it says in verse 12. In so much that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw it on this fashion. We never saw anything like this. Now, I believe they were talking about the paralyzed man being healed. But remember this, that man would have never been healed that day had there not been four men who were willing to risk it all. Four men who were willing to pay the price, four men who were willing to be committed, four men who were willing to do something a little creative and get on a roof and cut a hole and bring somebody down. When it was all said and done, the people were amazed and they glorified God. Now, next Sunday, when you come to church, please come in through the door. Please don't climb on the roof. Please don't get a, a, a hacksaw or, a, you know, a, a jackhammer or whatever you need that you think you need to get through the roof. We've got room for you to get into church. Please don't do that. But when you come to church next Sunday, would you come looking for Jesus? Would you talk to somebody this week about Jesus? Would you let it be noised a little bit this week? Hey, I love the Lord. He saved me. I'm not ashamed of him. I want other people to meet him. I want other people to know. Would you be willing to pay the price? Would you be willing to not be the critical one that's looking on, but would you be the one that would jump in and get involved? The Bible says that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying we never saw it on this fashion. I think what's so interesting about this story, many things, but one is we don't even know the names of those four guys. We don't even know the name of the paralyzed man. You know why? Because it wasn't about them. It was all about Jesus. And at the end of the day, everything we do is so that Jesus Christ is honored and glorified in us. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. 
led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.